0: truly are blessed as a church to have such a wonderful, well-rounded group of men to serve on our leadership team. And I don't know if you've ever considered the fact of considering the size of our church, we're not a very big church, but to have nine elders and 13 deacons um, is really an evidence of God's grace, that he really loves us and cares for us and, and uh, we covet your prayers And I was thinking about um, what we've been learning in the book of Philippians, and I want to commend the book of Philippians to you as a congregation to serve as as your prayer list for the elders and the deacons, that uh, we would conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That we would do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. That we would work out our own salvation in fear and trembling and prove ourselves to be blameless, innocent and above reproach as we hold forth the word of life in this crooked and perverse generation. And that we would be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. And as we're going to learn today, that we would not seek our own interests, but only the interests of Christ Jesus. That'd be a pretty good prayer list, don't you think? So you can just pray through the first two chapters of Philippians for us, and we would greatly appreciate that. And once again, God, uh, in his providence, has brought us to a perfect passage to study together today in light of what we just experienced, Uh, we know that the scripture makes it clear that elders and deacons are are servant leaders who are supposed to set a godly example for the rest of the church to follow. And in the remainder of Philippians chapter 2, Paul provided two sketches, if you will, of, of two of his companions and co-workers who were model servant leaders. I'm referring to Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so we have come to verse nine in our study of Philippians, I to be verse nineteen, Philippians chapter two, verse nineteen. And uh, as I read through uh, the end of the chapter this morning, um, I, I want you to consider how how timely this message will be for all of us today. Philippians chapter two, verse nineteen. Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will, come, will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me. So that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Timothy and Epaphrodites provide an example for all of us to follow this morning, especially those who serve as elders and deacons. And so George and Chris and Rayford and, and Ray and, and Sam, I, I hope that um, as we consider the example set by these two choice servants that you, in particular, will be freshly instructed and freshly inspired as you seek to faithfully fulfill your role as a servant leader in our church. Paul just finished using himself as a model of what it looks like to joyfully and sacrificially serve the Lord. We saw this last week in, in, in verses 17 and 18 where he likened himself as a drink offering being poured out upon the sacrifice and service of, of the Philippians' faith. And he was rejoicing in that opportunity to serve them and he was inviting them to rejoice with him as well. Uh, And now he goes on to describe two other models or servants, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whose selfless, sacrificial lives and ministries are worthy of imitation. Both of these men, as we're going to see, are outstanding examples of everything that that Paul had been exhorting the Philippians to be in this letter up to this point. And uh, at the time of the writing of this letter. These two faithful co-laborers were by Paul's side, serving his needs while he was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting uh, the results of his appeal to Caesar. And Paul wasn't sure how long that might take, um, and so his plan was to send uh, Epaphroditus back to his home church in Philippi with this letter to encourage them and exhort them, and and then later to send Timothy as soon as possible with the news. Uh, as his case uh, was decided, and, and also to report back to, to Paul how things were going in Philippi. And uh, notice it says there, I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Paul knew that any day that, that the order uh, would be handed down from Nero for him to be either executed or released. Uh, notice verse 24, excuse me, verse 23, therefore he says again, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Paul often used the word hope whenever he was making plans or communicating his plans. Uh, Romans fifteen twenty four. he said, when I, Whenever I go to Spain, uh, I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you. He told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 7, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing. I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. And then he told Philemon uh, in in verse 22, prepare me lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. I think this is a good reminder for all of us that that Paul's hope was not in Nero, to whom he had appealed. Uh, He knew his future didn't depend on the will of God, of a man, even a, a, a one as powerful as the Roman emperor himself, uh, he knew that God was the one ultimately controlling the outcome of his trial. And he often expressed uh, that all of his hopes and all of his plans were submitted to whatever God's will was for his life. And he was fully aware that uh, that God could change his plans at any moment. Acts 18, verse 2, he said, to the Ephesians, I will return to you again if God wills. Uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 19, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And James probably said it best in James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit, yet you do know not what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say what? If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. That's the way it should be for those of us who, like Paul, are in the Lord Jesus. That's what he said, that I hope in the Lord Jesus. And again, this is a reminder of Paul's vital union with Christ, which consumed his entire life and controlled his every thought and word and deed, along with all of his hopes and all of his dreams and all of his plans, And so it should be with us, that our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Notice it says that he was wanting to send Timothy, hoping to send Timothy. Why? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul was hoping to send Timothy to encourage the believers in Philippi with the good news of his release. He was expecting to be released. But he was also hoping to be encouraged himself if Timothy returned with a positive report that the church in Philippi had heeded and obeyed his exhortations... In this letter, and unity had been restored among its members. They were once again striving together in the work of the gospel. They were rejoicing with him in trials and tribulations, and they were progressing in their faith, and they were working out their salvation in fear and trembling, and they were not grumbling or complaining, but they were shining as lights and holding forth the word of life in their corrupt city. Nothing would cheer up Paul more than receiving back news like that from Timothy. And by telling the Philippian church here in this letter that he was planning to send Timothy and promising to come himself, I think Paul was giving them some added incentive to take this letter to heart and to follow the directives that he laid out for them here. And I was thinking about this, how difficult of a decision this must have been for Paul to send the Epaphrodites back and to send Timothy back. Uh, shortly after because um, nobody was more dear to Paul and helpful to him at this time than Timothy and Epaphroditus. I mean, if he ever needed the encouragement and support of, of dear friends like these guys, it was now. And yet, Paul was willing to sacrifice having these men by his side because he knew it was better for the saints in Philippi to have these choice servants by them than with him. And I think this just shows, again, that Paul had the mind of Christ, and he put the interest of the Philippians above his own. He was willing to part with them in the same way that God the Father was willing to part with his Son so we could be saved. That's what he just got done writing about in uh, verses 3 through 7. And so Paul practiced what he preached. He was a model, an example of the things he was, was saying, but... Today, we're not going to look at Paul. We're going to look at Timothy. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Epaphroditus. But we're, we're going to look at these sketches, two sketches of, of these two ministry companions that uh, really are a pair of model servants for us to follow. And if you're familiar with a sketch, right, that term sketch, a sketch is just a, a brief account or description of someone or something. And it gives only the basic details. And this is not a full portrait. Of Timothy or Epaphroditus. This is just a brief sketch. Just given some basic details about these guys, but what is here is enough for us to consider how we can be more like Timothy, how we can be more like Epaphroditus. For the sake of our study, I wanted to title each one of these men. Uh, Timothy, we could call the caring servant, and Epaphroditus, we could call the daring soldier. The caring servant and the daring soldier. And again, this morning we're just going to look at Timothy, uh, this stellar example of a, of a, of a, of a caring servant. Um, verse 19, again, I hope in the Lord Jesus send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Um as we're going to see here as we go through these verses, uh, the Philippians were already well acquainted with this guy. Um, and yet Paul felt the need to furnish them with a, a glowing testimony of his character to show why, of all the men that he could have sent to Philippi, he was, Timothy was the best suited to serve as Paul's personal representative. Perhaps this was to avert their possible disappointment when they found out that uh, Paul might not be visiting them in person. Um, I think surely this was Paul's way of showing that he had complete confidence in his young associate, that he wasn't just the next best thing to having me there, but he was like having me there. I think that's the point. You may be disappointed but uh, that, that I'm not, I may not be there, but guess what? Timothy's not just the next best thing. It's like having me be there. Um, this wasn't the first time that Paul h- had sent Timothy uh, in his place to represent him in a, in a particular church. Uh, you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 14. Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ... Yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy. Interesting. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. And so the very next thing that he comes off his pen is, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy. Not, and therefore I'm coming again to remind you of what it looks like to be like me. No, he says, I'm going to send Timothy... Who is my beloved and faithful child, who imitates me perfectly, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Based on that verse, I think it's safe to say that when people who knew Paul met Timothy, they would say, man, you remind me so much of Paul. Have you ever had somebody like that? Man, who do you remind me? This guy reminds me of something. Well, it was, it was Paul. Timothy, you remind me so much of Paul. Well, we know that Timothy was first um, exposed to Paul during his first missionary journey when he came to Timothy's hometown uh, in Lystra or Derby. You see that in Acts chapter 14. And uh, we find out that Timothy's father was a Greek, but his mother was uh, a Jew along with uh, his grandmother and they taught him the Old Testament scriptures ever since he was a little guy, and that prepared his heart for the preaching of the gospel. And so when when Paul arrived uh, in town and Timothy heard Paul preach the gospel, he placed his faith in Christ, and that's why Paul so often referred to him as his true child in the faith or, or um, his beloved son. Um, he most likely was the one who led him to Christ. And so when Paul... Uh, returned to Derby and Lystra on his second missionary journey. A few years later, the church commended Timothy to Paul and said, hey, this is an up-and-coming young man in our church. He's a strong, spiritually mature a Christian. And uh, if you remember the timeline, Paul had just uh, parted ways with Barnabas uh, over a sharp disagreement about the dependability of John Mark. And Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. And Paul said, no way. He, 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 he didn't follow through last time. And And so they parted ways, and so uh, he was looking for a new companion, and so he chose Timothy to be his new ministry partner. And so Paul and Timothy, they traveled uh, and ministered together for the remainder of Paul's life, and they became the best of friends. And no one was more loved by Paul than Timothy, and no one was more like Paul than Timothy. And in Paul's mind, out of all the companions and co-workers he had to choose from, there was, there was no one better to send to Philippi than Timothy because he was in a class by himself. And we're going to see here in verses 20, 21, and 22 that Paul explained the three reasons why Timothy was the perfect guy to send to Philippi. Notice the word for, that little word for. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the burdens of the gospel like a child serving his father. So I think the language here just tips us off that there are some reasons. Paul's giving reasons why Timothy was was to serve as his representative. And so let's look at these three reasons this morning quickly. Number one... um, Timothy was genuinely concerned for others. Timothy was genuinely concerned for others. Look at verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That expression there when he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit, that really means equal soul or same soul. Uh, And Timothy really embodied Paul's exhortation to the Philippians in verse two of this chapter, look at back in verse two. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That was a description of Timothy. That he was completely like-minded uh, with with the Apostle Paul, and he had set himself apart from the rest of Paul's associates, and, and that no one was more like-minded with Paul than Timothy, and that's why he was his closest and most trusted assistant. What that meant is this, that Paul was totally confident that Timothy would say or do exactly the same thing that he would say or do in any given situation. I mean, that's that's saying something, right? That that you have absolute confidence that that this guy is going to say exactly what I would say. He would do exactly what I would do in any given situation. He will serve as as my representative and uh, and so we see these two men who shared the same goals they shared the same passions they agreed upon the means to accomplish these goals and fulfill those passions I mean they were on the same spiritual wavelength in every way they were just they were in sync they were in tune with one another and as I was considering this Verse, I was uh, just filled with gratitude um, at the blessing that the Lord has given me. I consider one of the greatest blessings in my life is how He has so graciously surrounded me with kindred spirits, uh, with the pastoral team and the elder team and the deacons that we uh, enjoy. Uh, even our grow groups—they're like sending out to our grow group leaders. Just the the like-mindedness that we share. I mean, what a joy it is to be able to serve alongside. People who are like-minded, both doctrinally and philosophically. I mean, the ministry of a church is is, is so much more effective when when the leadership of the church is is all on the same page. They're all on the same spiritual wavelength. They're just in tune with one another. And that is a gift from the Lord that we shouldn't take for granted. Psalm 133, verse 1, God says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together together. In unity. It just makes it so much easier to work together when your hearts are committed to the same things and when you're concerned about the same things. And and we know that Paul was deeply concerned about not just the church in Philippi, but all the churches that he had planted throughout the Mediterranean world. And and what he's saying here is that Timothy shared his mentor's concern. We read last week in, in 2 Corinthians 11 how Paul said this, apart from such external things, he just got done listing all the trials and tribulations and uh, things, how he got beat up and left for dead. And he he said, apart from all those things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Timothy could say the same thing. I appreciated what one commentator said, Said in this regard, he said, Although that Paul was in prison and suffering great hardship, the apostle was not preoccupied with his own discomfort. His burning concern was for the welfare of the believers in Philippi. He was not feeling miserable because of the way he was being treated, he was anxious to discover how the Philippians were coping with the pressures of life as Christians. Paul knew that wherever the gospel has been preached and people had come to know the Lord as their Savior, there the devil was active. And so Paul was always thinking about other people and their needs and their problems more than his own needs and his own problems. And Timothy followed Paul's example of of caring for other people more than he cared about himself. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Timothy was sincerely interested in the growth and the health of the church in Philippi, and he was greatly concerned about the the spiritual condition of the believers there. What that means when it says he he, he, he will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. In other words, he didn't pretend to care. He didn't just act like he cared. I mean, he really cared about their physical and spiritual well-being. And he demonstrated that care by praying for them and I'm sure talking about them with whoever he had an opportunity to talk to, making multiple visits to Philippi. uh, He visited Philippi more than Paul did. And he may have even sent some of his own letters, not inspired like the Apostle Paul, but maybe he sent some letters of his own to, to the church in Philippi. But the point is, like Paul, Timothy was a man of great compassion who truly cared about other people and sought to meet their needs. And so Paul held him up as an example of the humble, selfless, Christ-like attitude that he described earlier in this chapter. In verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of of others, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, we're looking at Timothy this morning as a model that we're to follow. We too need to be willing to put the needs and, and the interests of others above our own to show con- concern, genuine concern, sincere concern for the physical and sp- spiritual well-being of others. But even more importantly... We need to put the interest of Christ above our own interests. It's one thing to put the interest of others. But ultimately, we need to put the interest of Christ above our own interests. And this is the second reason why Paul wanted to send Timothy to Philippi. Because um, not only was he someone who uh, was genuinely concerned uh, for, for them, but he was solely devoted to Christ's interest. He was solely devoted to Christ's interests. Look at verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. You may remember that earlier in this letter, Paul had mentioned that there were some believers in Rome who who were preaching Christ for selfish reasons and serving the Lord with impure motives. Chapter 1, verse 15 Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So Paul had rubbed shoulders with other servants of Christ who were serving with their own agenda, I guess you could say. They... They weren't really serving the Lord. They were serving themselves. And yet Paul didn't care. As long as Christ was exalted, I don't care. God will deal with them in his way and his time. Um, As long as Christ is being preached. And and the same was true of Timothy. Neither of them were in, in the ministry for what they could get out of it for themselves. They weren't trying to gratify their own selfish ambitions or to achieve personal success. They were they were givers, not takers. They were completely unselfish and, and and willing to sacrifice their own interests to promote the greater interests of Christ. This phrase in verse twenty one, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Whenever I I read that verse, I can't help but remember the first church I pastored in Texas here when it experienced a time of turmoil, which came to a head when a small group of people presented a petition to the board uh, requesting a congregational meeting to vote whether or not I should remain as the the pastor. And the document that they gave us included all the reasons why the board should fire me. And um, they handed out this document and they left and we shut the doors and now it was time for us to figure out what to do. And uh, everyone was sitting there, kind of staring at the document, not saying anything. And I remember just taking the document in my hand and lifting it up and posing the simple question. I said, "Do these people have God's interest in mind, or do they have their own interest in mind?" And it got even more silent because it was so obvious to everyone in that room that that was the case. And it just seems that too many church members today are seeking to promote what they want rather than what Christ wants. They they have a personal agenda that takes precedence over Christ and they're more devoted to themselves than they are to Christ. And John Calvin years ago said this, quote, it is impossible that he who is devoted to self should spend himself for the church. You can't do it. It's impossible to serve Christ and yourself at the same time. Why is that? Well, because selfish people only serve if it's convenient for them or it's comfortable. But if it conflicts with their personal desires or their priorities or their schedules, they're not about to show up and serve. There seems to be less and less people in the church these days who have a genuine devotion to Christ and who are willing to just unself unselfishly serve the church, even when it requires great cost to themselves. I think it's easy for all of us to get caught up in our own selfish desires and interests that we forget about the interests of Christ or we don't have time for the interests of Christ. and, And this is not just church members, this is also pastors. We struggle with this too, by the way. And as I was studying this passage this week, I was forced to examine the purity of my own motives in serving the Lord and was convicted that, that sometimes I think I seek my own interests rather than the interests of Christ by, by trying to achieve a, a level of personal success through the ministry. Too often I let my identity be wrapped up in the church and What's going on here? And is it going good? Is it going bad? Is it growing? Is it not growing? And right, it's, 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 it's too much about me in my own mind, in my own heart. And so I wrote down the following statement just as a as a way to grapple with how this verse needs to apply in my own life. And this is what I wrote in my notes. God has sovereignly ordained the size of my church and the sphere of my influence and the level of my giftedness. And if I have a problem with any of these things, then that is evidence that I'm not truly serving Christ, but merely serving myself. Ouch. See, the point is, we all exist to serve Christ, not ourselves, amen? Robert Leitner, a well-known professor at Dallas Seminary, made this comment about Timothy. He said, Timothy stood out as a rare gem in a world of self-seekers. Do you stand out as a rare gem in a world of self-seekers? Well, Timothy was genuinely, genuinely concerned for others. He was solely devoted to Christ's interests. And then finally, thirdly, he was loyally committed to the gospel. He was loyally committed to the gospel. Look at verse 22. But you know of his proven worth that he serve me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Again, Timothy was well known to the Philippians. Um, he was uh, Philippi was one of the first places that Timothy uh, served with Paul after he had chosen him to be his new partner in ministry. You can see that in Acts chapter sixteen. Um, the book of Acts indicates that, that after that initial visit in Acts sixteen, Timothy had an ongoing. Uh, 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 relationship or contact with this freshly planted church. Uh, It appears that Timothy visited Philippi on on three other occasions, which would have allowed him to develop a close relationship with them. We see that in Acts 18, Acts 19, and Acts 20. And so in light of this longstanding relationship with the believers in Philippi, it's no wonder that Paul mentioned Timothy uh, in the introduction to this letter. You remember in verse 1, chapter 1 Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, Timothy was beloved not only by Paul but by the Philippians and they had every confidence in his leadership by this time that that, uh, that his integrity, his, his loyalty had been proven over time, tested over time. Uh, just like we talked about these last few weeks in 1 Timothy 3 verse 10 that before a man should serve as an elder or a deacon he must first be tested to verify, to confirm that he is truly qualified to serve. And so uh, Timothy had passed the test uh, in in the church in Philippi. Um, Paul says, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, That word served was the word used to describe a slave uh, back in those days. And and Paul, as you know, often referred to himself as a bond slave uh, of Christ. And he uh, included Timothy in this as well, he uh, considered him a fellow bond slave, um, but both of them were equally committed to, to slaving the gospel, if you will, to, to serving the gospel, to seeing the gospel spread throughout the world. And together, these two uh, really set a great example of what it looks like to work together with one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 27. I think what is most impressive about this father-son team, notice he says, he served with me like a child serving his father. This was not a master-slave, mentor-disciple relationship. It was a father-son relationship, ultimately. And so this this father-son team had a a 10-year run of ministry. That was about the length of time that they served together. And and over that time, they developed this mutual love and respect for one another. And Paul viewed Timothy as his spiritual son, and Timothy viewed Paul as his spiritual father. And and you never get any hint whatsoever in their communication in in the New Testament that there was any competition between them. And Timothy never chafed under Paul's leadership nor had any intention of ever undermining uh, Paul or supplanting his beloved mentor. He was content to to simply serve alongside him in a humble, harmonious way. I think we could say that Timothy was a team player and he knew how to get along with, with his fellow servants. He wasn't that guy who was only willing to serve if everything is done exactly the way he wants it to be done. One commentator simply described Timothy as someone who was prepared to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty in the cause of Christ. That was Timothy. He was prepared to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty in the cause of Christ. I witnessed a great example of this last Sunday as I was getting ready to leave, and most of you had already gone, and uh, I was here with a grow group or two who was still meeting, and uh, there was someone that came in from the community that was looking for some financial help, and uh, I struck up a conversation with them, and our deacons have a wonderful process that they take people through to verify that there is actually a need and how we can meet, whether or not we can meet that need, and so uh, I thought to myself, is there any, any deacons here on campus still, and I thought of one that was meeting in their grow group, and I thought, man, I don't want to go and interrupt him. This is a special time. It's the afternoon after church. He's probably tired and uh, he's engaged in in what he's doing. But I thought, I got to get him involved because I don't know the process. He does. And so I went and asked him, uh, interrupted him, and uh, he came out. And he so gladly, willingly rolled up his sleeves, if you will, and uh, was ready to get dirty for the cause of Christ, and he was able to spend two hours just visiting with this couple and their two children to see how we could uh, not just serve their physical needs, but also serve their spiritual needs and share the gospel with them. And and uh, what a, what a joy to have men like that here at this church who who uh, things you'll never know that they do behind the scenes, but they're Timothy like uh, in their concern for the needs of others and and their their concern for the interest, the seeking the interest of Christ and, and just how loyal they are to the cause of the gospel. Again, just wrapping this up, verse 23, therefore I hope to send Timothy in light of this, in light of all these things, these reasons, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So at any moment, he was expecting to hear the news. And uh, as soon as he did, he would dispatch Timothy to deliver the news to them. And again, he was anticipating being released and hoping to be able to come and visit them himself. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that Paul was released. But we can assume that he was, since later he was imprisoned a second time in Rome. uh, And and it was during that time that he wrote... His last letter to Timothy, and, and really it's it's through the, the, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy that we we find evidence that he was released and was able to travel and minister to, in Creed and Asia Minor and Macedonia and, and Achaia before his, his final imprisonment and execution uh, in AD 67. And as you know, that when the great apostle Paul was called home to heaven, Timothy did become his replacement. And he faithfully carried out Paul's ministry, carried on Paul's ministry as a pastor of the church in Ephesus until his own martyrdom. And the scripture doesn't record how Timothy died. According to extra-biblical sources, at the age of 80, Timothy tried to halt a procession in honor of the pagan goddess Diana, who was there in the the, the center of worship of Dana, was there in Ephesus, and he he tried to halt this procession. He was so incensed with righteous indignation, he began to preach the gospel. And uh, tradition says that the angry mob grabbed him and beat him with clubs and dragged him through the streets and finally stoned him to death. So Timothy stands as an example for all of us as we seek to selflessly and sacrificially serve the Lord. And none of these things, by the way, that we read about Timothy, his, his genuine concern, his soul devotion, his loyal commitment, none of these things came natural to him, or, nor did they come natural to any of us. And, and they weren't things that developed overnight in Timothy, and they don't develop in us overnight as well. It took a lifetime of walking with the Lord, And working with Timothy, excuse me, working with Paul for Timothy to become this kind of caring servant. And so Paul's brief sketch here of Timothy shows us it's possible. It's possible to be this kind of guy. This kind of person. This kind of servant. But you need to start somewhere. And the best place to start is serving here in your local church. And you remember last Sunday, we made a big deal about finding a ministry. We have all these ministries that the Lord has blessed us with and um, some of them are covered. We got plenty of people serving those ministries, but there's others that have some great needs. There's some great opportunities to serve. And so we challenge you to plug into ministry and to exercise your spiritual gift and help this body grow and mature uh, you know, in Christ and um you don't see the things up here, but they're back there on the back wall this morning and uh, we know that some of you signed up last week, some fifty of you signed up last week, which we so appreciate. Thank you for answering the call. Um, we know a number of you went home to pray about it and to look over that long list of opportunities that you have. We put it again in the bulletin if you missed it last week, the list is in the bulletin again and so I want to ask you as we um, close this morning as before you leave, if you haven't yet signed up uh, for one of those needs um, to serve, they're all, again, the clipboards are all back there on that back table. I um, want to encourage you to do that. Listen, beloved, we are gifted to serve and we are expected to serve. And so we want to encourage you to to sign up to serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example of, of Timothy. Timothy. Um, what a dear saint this man was, and I'm sure for all of us, we feel like we fall so short of, of, of his example. Um, if, if someone was to write a testimony about our lives, not sure it would be as stellar as Timothy's was, but Lord, we know it's possible by your grace to be this kind of caring servant and to develop into that kind of uh, person. That Timothy became. And and so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity all of us have here at this church to serve, Uh, even if it's in the smallest, simplest, behind-the-scenes way. um, Lord, it's a way that we can grow and develop uh, to become more like this example that we've looked at today. And so I pray you just continue to stir all of our hearts to to want to be like Timothy and, and to want to um, be using our spiritual gifts that you've granted us uh, to build this body. I pray there to be no one here uh, who just kind of comes and sits and soaks and sours and, and doesn't uh, really ever give back to the work of this church, but that all of us, Lord, every one of us would be actively involved in, in doing something for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ. Uh, Here in this church, in this community, we pray for your glory and your honor. Amen.